Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed my last week's episode about my passion and why I'm doing this. I'm completely new to podcasting and will be trying out all kinds of different structures and formats. If you have any feedback, though, I'd love to hear it. Uh, You can email me at bloomingsmilespodcast at gmail.com. I'm going to try to make these solo episodes a little bit more conversational. Uh, I'm not used to that. It's talking to yourself, but in a fun, animated way. So it feels like I'm talking to you. Solo shows are different. Uh, I am slowly becoming comfortable with them, with my voice. I don't, nobody really likes the sound of their voice. Well, at least maybe I don't. Uh, I, I feel like my English is not that great. And sometimes my enunciation is a little slurred. So I'll try to slow things down, especially with certain terminology that's hard to understand when the person's not in front of you, especially terminology that is medical or dental or science related and not a common terminology that we use day to day. Sometimes I have to slow things down for the general population. And that's really important to me because I want to make sure that this is a resource for everybody and not just for a certain group of people. I try my best to research each topic before I speak on it. My goal is to give you a well-rounded understanding of a topic and ultimately educate you to make your own decision about your child. That's all we can truly do as healthcare providers. I can't make decisions for you, but I can answer your questions as best I can. It's hard to really say what I would do if I were in your shoes for your child because I don't really understand what's going on at home. You have to factor those extra details into your decision-making process. Every topic may not be for you, and that's totally okay. I just want to make sure I cover enough topics that families feel like this is a resource for them and they can check back on episodes that they may like and want to listen in on. Sometimes you can share these episodes with your friends or start to have empathy for friends that are dealing with certain issues with their children. So educating yourself can make you realize what other people are going through, even though it doesn't pertain to your own life. You can also consider bookmarking certain episodes if you can't listen to it now, or maybe you know you're going to deal with something with your child in a few months and you want to bookmark it for later. I highly recommend that. You, I don't expect people to listen to every episode every day all the time. And people have to remember this is a podcast show and it's only a one way of communication. I don't get any feedback from you about your cases going on with your kids. And if I talk about a topic that you go and research more and bring that to another doctor, I don't know what's going on on your side of things. Symptoms present differently amongst different groups of people, and we need to be aware of that. So always take this information to your doctor with an open mind. You expect them to have an open mind in return about you. You have to make sure that if you do have a concern about your child and it comes from this podcast, I hope that you bring questions and curiosity instead of telling the doctor or the healthcare provider what you have heard on this podcast. That to me won't help your child because I need those healthcare providers to to still be able to do their job. They know your child. They've been able to have two-way conversations with your family. 
to then implement the care your family needs. So please use this information I'm giving you through this podcast when it comes to medical concerns. Take it lightly and then ask questions to your healthcare providers. Please do not use this as an end-all be-all you know, resource to diagnosing your child when it comes to specific medical concerns or dental concerns. That's a little bit about the podcast and the information you're getting from me. I want to make sure I say certain things before I continue in this podcast and disseminating more information to you guys. I want to make sure you understand how you should use the information that I'm giving you guys. If you do have questions, you can always email me at bloomingsmilespodcast at gmail.com. I really love hearing from you guys. It's really important to me. Sometimes if you're personal friends with me on Facebook, I post questions on there and I love your feedback. It's really interesting to see how different families run their lives. And I hope you guys are reading each other's responses as well. And I hope to ask more questions to some of you that are personal friends with me on my Facebook. And maybe I can start doing it on my podcast. So today's topic is something I've already known and known for quite some time. It's what my degree is in and it is oral health month this month of February. So I wanted to dedicate one you know, episode about something I am very passionate about. And I've spent the last 10 years learning it 10 years if and I want to kind of go through what what my credentials are and how I got here. So I am a pediatric dentist. I work in the Chicagoland area at multiple offices. I've worked all over the place for all different reasons. I kind of did it on purpose a little bit to learn how different areas of Chicago are, but also to understand how different clinics work in different settings. So people that had different, you know, access to different resources and the way the it's structured as a community really can affect the way the child life is. So I've worked in clinics that were heavily Medicaid and that population of people really relied on government assistance and what did their, you know, dental experience look like? I also worked in private practice in a suburb that was, you know, more higher end and had lots of resources. And many of the families were very well educated and went to higher schooling, um, you know, and graduate schooling even. Uh, and then I have, you know, some that was a mixed population. So it's been very interesting to work in all these different areas of Chicago and understand how the family dynamics are, how the community dynamics are, how the clinics work individually, and how then the insurance system works for each of those populations and what were the benefits of some and how, you know, difficult some were to deal with. And that, ultimately then impacted the dental experience for each child. And just working in all these different populations, I kind of got a better understanding of how, you know, a bigger picture of how health kind of is. And that's how I got even more involved into child health and wellness. But it didn't just start there. I actually went to undergrad at University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. I went there for four years. I minored in chemistry and I majored in community health, which is kind of like public health. And within that realm, I 
had concentrations in hospital and health administration, and I had concentrations in health education. So I did a lot of community work, understanding, you know, nonprofit organizations and how they were built to help the community. Um, I also looked at public health departments and how they were structured to help the community. I did dental service trips within the county in Urbana-Champaign and learned how oral health was given to disadvantaged youth via mobile dental clinics. And it really opened up my eyes to see that not everybody had the same experience in dentistry as I did, where, you know, some of the kids there were receiving dental care at the schools, you know, through a mobile clinic or, you know, in a van where I went to a private clinic. Um, My parents got insurance through their employers and I was able to see like a dentist at a clinic and I went every six months you know, so I saw a completely different side of how healthcare can be for a child. So after undergrad, I went to four years of dental school. And that four years of dental school, I went to University of Illinois at Chicago. There's only two dental schools in the state of Illinois. Um, There's one in Southern Illinois and there's one, you know, up in the city. So I went to the one in the city and I spent, you know, those years learning how, you know, everything about dentistry from the teeth, the anatomy of the face. We had anatomy class and we worked on cadavers. We had to learn uh, mainly head, neck, arms. In dental school, we have to also learn hand skills and technique for restoring teeth and being able to use a mirror and kind of understand spatial arrangements. And there's a lot of things that go into dentistry that you don't realize at all until you're in dental school. So, you know, the first few years is just learning a lot of that. And you get into patient care towards your last two years. Uh, And in that patient care, you work on patients and there's instructors in the clinic going through and helping you treat patients. And it's usually Medicaid patients. So you learn how the healthcare experiences for that, that group of people. And there are clinics for pediatrics. And I spent time rotating through those pediatric clinics and enjoyed it and went to residency in the same school for pediatric dental residency, which is another two years, a total of 10 years. So that's four years of undergrad, four years of dental school, and two years of residency. The learning doesn't really stop there. And I want people to understand that after the two years of residency, you learn a lot about pediatric dentistry and understanding children and development and understanding different diseases that children can have. So it's a lot in that aspect of things. So the learning doesn't just stop there. You, What ends up happening is you have to take CE courses to maintain your license um, in your state, and it goes state by state. And for also for me to maintain my pediatric dental certificate um, and board, we get we also can get boarded, and that's a whole nother thing. But I to maintain those credentials that are important and what you should look for in a pediatric dentist, those credentials um, require you to take continuing education or CE courses. So 
how you decide on what you want to take in CE courses can be all kinds of reasons, but usually it's based on what you see and do in your day-to-day experience as a pediatric dentist working wherever you were you are working. So I've worked mainly in general population and in suburb clinics, some Medicaid clinics, but in you know suburb offices of private that are private practice. And I'll want to learn about different materials that would benefit my patients when it comes to certain treatments. And I'll look up the materials and I want to go take a class on a new material that has come out that might benefit my patient. So I would need to take a class on that. So that education never really ends as a pediatric dentist. And then we also have other things as, you know, groups of individuals that are curious and want to work with each other and share our knowledge. So there's Facebook groups out there that we just post um, cases on and ask questions about. And, you know, we, especially if it's something that we're not sure and we want an answer by the end of the day, or we want to learn from other people about another way to do something that, you know, might be better. Nobody's really thought of it. So maybe, you know, comparing different techniques. We also have something called study clubs. There's a great study club that's been started here in Chicago. That all is a lot of what we we do outside of just working as, you know, clinicians. So, and that comes with research papers. Some of us have time to read research papers. Some of us lean on other instructors or other gurus to do the research. And then we follow those people and we all, you know, kind of figure out who kind of fits our treatment philosophies and then kind of follow them as our gurus to look into those research papers because looking through research papers is not easy and statistics is not easy. And that's why people go into these fields and there's jobs created because of that. So now we've talked about how I got here as a pediatric dentist, all the schooling and everything I have to do to remember everything to tell you guys. So I now want to share that knowledge with you. What what do I know as a pediatric dentist that could be helpful to you guys at home? And some of this is basic. Basic to some of us. Some of us were taught by our parents, you know, the basics of what oral hygiene is and why our teeth are important. That's a privilege. Some of us didn't have parents like that. They didn't really teach us, you know, maybe they didn't, they knew the information, but didn't have the ability to, because they didn't know how to teach or they didn't have time to teach because they were so busy trying to put food on the table. So I want to make sure everybody has that base knowledge that, you know, about their teeth. And so if you were never taught this and you're now an adult and you want to learn, this is great place to start learning because this is the basics of how to take care of your teeth. This is literally oral hygiene 101. Okay. So the first thing is obviously toothbrushing. We all know everybody needs to toothbrush. We want to toothbrush twice a day. So now when do we toothbrush? Do we toothbrush right in the morning when we wake up? Do we toothbrush at nighttime? When? You know, like that is a question that I was confused about until I went to dental school, which is surprising. You know, I wasn't born a dentist. I didn't know exactly when, but I did what my parents told me. My parents told me I have to brush right when I get 
I wake up and they tried to get me to brush right before bedtime, but that was really hard because I never did because I was way too tired. And I'll explain those issues another time, but I was way too tired by nighttime. And I would just complain and never really brush at night. So they forced us to brush right in the morning, right when we woke up. So that is actually incorrect. And I know a lot of households that do that, and that is incorrect. So the way, when you're supposed to brush your teeth is actually two times a day, once in the morning after breakfast, and once in the evening after your last meal, food, whatever, or right before bedtime, whatever. The most important thing is when you brush at nighttime, you don't eat or drink anything after other than water. So I don't care when you brush at nighttime, all you, all that you need to do is not eat after that. Okay. Water is okay though. So you have to brush for two minutes as well with kids. There's now YouTube videos for, you know, brushing. There are apps that are on your phone. There's even tooth electronic toothbrushes that correlate to an app on your phone. And it tells you the time and all this extra information. Great. But all I care is you're brushing for the two minutes and you're brushing every part of your mouth. So your kids need to make sure they're doing that. And the best way is with a timer of some sort. The other thing you got to make sure is that it's assisted brushing when it comes to children. And that kind of pretty much goes up to the age of 12 years old. I know you guys are all thinking, I don't need to help my 12-year-old brush his teeth. But let me tell you, your child cannot move their arm and their hand very well. And you'd be surprised when you watch them. I'm not kidding you. Watch these kids brush their teeth and you'll see that they miss a lot of areas because they don't know how to move their arms. They're still adjusting to how to, you know, move their developing body. So don't assume and please watch your child. Watch your child until they can prove to you that they can do it on their own. And that is how you want to deal with that. Don't assume. And moving their arm around is called dexterity, moving their hands, everything. And kids just don't have that good dexterity in those ages. So please help your child brush their teeth and test them quite a few times. You have to sometimes go back and remind them. And as kids get older, they find ways to to be lazy. You know, they don't understand the importance of their teeth until someone explains it to them. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But that is something you need to make sure they understand at age appropriate moments, right? So, I want you guys all to understand that it is important to assist in brushing. They can start as they get older, but you have to finish and make sure they get everywhere. The other thing is making sure you brush at the gum line. There's different techniques in brushing and your dentist or hygienist should be teaching you about how to brush or how to brush your kid's teeth, especially. But when you're brushing your kid's teeth, you can do it in circles you know, small little circles, or you can do um, it in a way that you're brushing along the gum tissue. The most important thing is to make sure you're getting along the gum tissue because a lot of bacteria, which forms plaque, 
you know, when it bunches up together, it's that's plaque. That's just a bunch of bacteria together in a colony on your teeth. Literally, that is what it is. So you need to brush out the gum tissue because a lot of plaque sits there. The other places in the grooves of your teeth on the tops where you munch and that's where food sits. So make sure you brush those areas too. You can break the mouth up into four parts and do 30 seconds in each part. And that should give you your two minutes. For children, what I tell you guys is sing a song. Usually twinkle, twinkle, little star four times is two minutes. And you'd be surprised how you guys actually do a lot faster than that. The importance is not brushing hard, which I try to tell families do not brush hard. When you brush hard, you're actually going to injure your gum tissue and that can cause gum recession. And then you'll have a whole nother set of issues. So brushing hard is not going to help. Brushing for the full two minutes is super important. And the technique is also the other aspect of that that is important. So making sure you get to the gum line and the, um, the tops of your teeth where the grooves are, we call those areas the occlusal surface of your teeth. And um, food constantly gets stuck in those grooves of your teeth. So try to scrub those. That's why we actually um, do sealant. So that we'll discuss at another point in time as well. Another common question I get is kind of what to look for in a toothbrush. One of the most important things is making sure it's a soft bristle brush. The importance of that is to make sure that you protect your gum tissue. Your gum tissue does not do well with those hard bristles. And that's why it doesn't do well when you scrub hard on your teeth with your toothbrush. The other question is electric versus manual toothbrush. I kind of want to veer away from that question first. Um, I want to say that you have to remember that the brush head size is important for children. So electric versus manual First, between all of them, only look at the small head, brush head size for your children. If you pick a big brush head, your child will gag and you won't get to those back teeth. So you want to make sure that that brush head is small. So then only look at those options amongst the electric and manual. If like I think Sonicare, it's a small brush head. It should be good for your child, but you're going to, for a really young child with a really small mouth, like, you know, less than four years old, some of these are still pretty big. So you got to try and see what it feels like for your kid. But uh, there are some that are kid sized and there's uh, electric brushes that are just for kids. And you want to, you know, stick to those if your child is young. The other thing is, is that you can still use a manual toothbrush as long as the brush head size is, is small. And then the most important thing between the two of them is technique. If you have a good technique, then it doesn't matter what kind of brush you use. That regular toothbrush is just as good if your technique is good. But if your technique is bad, none of them are going to help you. So first, figure out your technique. And with the manual brush and electric brush, it is kind of different and kind of similar. So with a manual brush, I want to direct you to a video. I'm going to try to post it. And that video is going to teach you how to brush. I It's hard to explain on podcasts and I'm a visual person. So let me try to post that uh, video. So look at my blog post on my website and I will post a video of proper toothbrushing technique.
When it comes to an electric toothbrush, with kids, when you give it to them, they think it does all the work. So they're just sitting there and staring in the mirror and just sitting there in their days of barely waking up. And they don't move it around. And you got to watch them because they're just sitting there and they're like, oh, it's on and it's in my mouth and it's doing whatever. They don't care. They're half awake and they're a child. So you got to be there to make sure they're using that uh, electric toothbrush properly. And if you don't think they are, and you don't know how to use it, then take it to your dentist. Cause I've asked my patients, you know, ask, talk to their parents about bringing the toothbrush to, to the dentist's office. So I can see how they're using it, especially those electric toothbrushes, all the bells and whistles that are a part of the electric toothbrush are great. I love like the timer that is phenomenal, but you can get a kitchen timer. It does the same thing. So you don't need that electric toothbrush as long as the technique is good and making sure they're using them properly by supervising them. So I'm sorry to say you kind of have to do that. And for those parents that are working and are busy, if you have a grandparent or a you know nanny or somebody else taking care of these kids then you need to bring them to the dental visit if you can. That's super important to me because sometimes I can talk to the parent and they're telling this grandparent everything, but that grandparent doesn't listen to anything. And I can't do anything about that. Like you got to bring the grandparent to the visit and then I can have a conversation and tell them, especially if the kid ends up having cavities, your parent, but you're not there every day with the kid, you know, doing these things with them. So then you got to bring that person with you. So I hope that helps you understand. And sometimes I've had people video chat in to the dental visit, but that's up to your doctor if they feel comfortable doing that. Some doctors don't like being put on the spot like that. They need to plan how that visit's going to go with that grandparent to have a conversation. Maybe they can call later, but you need to make sure that that messaging is transferred to the right person. And we as dentists don't want to yell at parents. It's not fun for us to, I don't want to yell at you. I'm not even trying to, I just want to make sure you have the information and we're trying our best to work as a team to take care of your kid and you're staying informed and I'm helping you in the best way I can by educating you and helping prevent disease in your child. So I've already talked a lot about such a simple topic and we have so much more to go. So I'm going to keep going, but toothpaste is another thing that I get a lot of questions about. And I want to talk about fluoride. I know all of you are so nervous about fluoride and you have a right to be at the same time. If you have faith in your public health care system, then you got to trust it, which means like the people that are monitoring the fluoride levels in our water, the people that are manufacturing our fluoride products, the people that are approving them, like the American Dental Association, you have to have faith in those systems to do their job. And if you don't believe they're doing their job, then you need to write a complaint or be active about it if you can. But that's my like one thing I can say in a place, also in a place of privilege, because I, you know, have the time and energy to do so. But those parents that are working, they kind of don't. They have other things. They got to put food on the table for their kids. So I want to say that you kind of have to have faith. 
So the one thing I want to say about the Chicagoland area is they realize that kids are getting a lot of fluoride from our food that is grown with fluoride water. So our fruits and veggies, if they're eating them, they're, you know, grown with fluoride water. So fluoride is embedded into that food and then we get it from there. So they actually decrease the fluoride levels in the water in Chicago. This happened when I was in residency and they did a whole, you know, news thing on it. So, you know, we have to have faith that they're checking and making sure and making changes where they can. So they did. That's great. And I'm very happy that that is what, you know, the system is doing. The other aspect of that is making sure that you guys are using the fluoride in your toothpaste. So toothpaste is great. And there's so many different kinds out there that it's sometimes hard to figure out, you know, consumerism and capitalism of America is great in many ways, except for these basic functions, you know, it's a basic function now in America to make sure oral health is a big part of a child's life. You know, it's a big initiative and we believe that every child should have access to good oral health by, you know, having access to good toothpaste and whatnot. And so there are a lot of options, but you want to make sure you're buying the right option for your family. And I can only say so much about fluoride, but it's one of the best public health initiatives that ever has happened. And we've known about it for many years and it, it has heavily influenced people's oral health going from country to country. And there are countries that don't have fluoride that my friends in dental school came from, you know, I will post, you know, more information about fluoride when it comes to research papers, but I'm going to give this one anecdote because I think it's important to give personal stories with the research, but I have to post research and that is my responsibility as your podcast host. So I'll make sure to post that on my blog, but the research behind fluoride, but you know, my friends that came from other countries that where there wasn't access to fluoride, they had lots of cavities. They just did. And by the way, the scientific name for cavities is caries. And we as dentists use that commonly in our lingo when we're talking to each other. And even you guys, sometimes we we would prefer to use that term and be more scientific. Um, so if you hear that from me or any dentist, that is the scientific word is caries. But yeah, my friends that came from, you know, these other countries where they didn't have fluoride had all these cavities and it really affected their oral health. And here I had access to fluoride and I really don't have any, not many cavities for my 33 years of life, almost 34. So fluoride is important. And there are side effects of too much fluoride. You can get something called fluorosis, which it is discoloring of the teeth and it causes your enamel to be kind of mulled up and you'll get like a brown coloring of your teeth. So that's why we got to make sure that your kid is not getting too much fluoride. And it is your dentist's job to ask the right questions to decide how much fluoride is your kid getting by looking at your tap water exposure, by looking at your child is eating fresh fruits and veggies. Are you getting it from your toothpaste and how much toothpaste you're using? So the most important thing I want you guys to understand about toothpaste and fluoride toothpaste specifically is that you need to limit the amount of toothpaste that's on your child's toothbrush. So when we were younger, my family just globbed it on and we brushed and I would used to eat my toothpaste. So if you actually look really up close to my teeth, I have splotchy teeth actually. And I think that's like mild fluorosis, but that's 
other thing with fluorosis is if you get too much fluoride exposure, you can get this browning of the teeth and it can, if you do ingest too much and I, it has to be quite a bit, uh, and it will cause that browning. And that is something that I want people to understand that it also, but it doesn't mean that you're more likely to get cavities. It's actually the opposite because you have so much fluoride on your teeth. They're so strong that it's not, you're less likely to get um, cavities on those teeth because there's fluoride embedded into the teeth. So the amount of fluoride or the amount of fluoride toothpaste should be limited. So in a kid that is two and younger should only get a size of a grain of rice of toothpaste on their toothbrush. Um, Make sure that you're not putting the big globs like I talked about that the next thing you can add on top of that is non-fluoridated toothpaste. Go ahead, add all the non-fluoridated toothpaste you want after that. Not necessarily. I want to make sure that toothpaste isn't really that bad for you in other ways, but I, it, I'm not as concerned. That little fluoride exposure is extremely important when the teeth are first coming in because as they're coming in, they get mineralized and they get mineralized from, you know, having fluoride. And that fluoride is actually makes a strong bond to the tooth. And since fluoride makes really strong bonds in general, it is hard to break. So your but your teeth are more protected and less likely to less likely to allow things to leach those minerals out of your teeth. And we'll get into that later. Make sure you wipe the teeth clean afterwards. Having the fluoride sit on the teeth after is actually very beneficial. That topical effect is very important. So I want to make sure people understand that. So wiping the teeth clean is okay. If you don't want to do that, if your kid's old enough, you can use something like mouthwash. Once they spit out the mouthwash, don't let them drink anything or rinse off any of that mouthwash because that coating will help harden the teeth. I recommend this more at nighttime, just that one time, you know, so it, while they're sleeping at night, you know, it coats their teeth and that's really beneficial. The type of mouthwash you should use should be fluoride. Sometimes you need it. If you are guys are getting enough fluoride in other ways, you don't need the mouthwash. That's what I say. Like that mouthwash is added. It's added extra stuff that, you know, maybe a doctor prescribes it, especially when your kid's starting to get, you know, cavities or at the beginning when in some extras, you can even see when there's the beginning of a cavity starting, your doctor may say, Hey, let's do a, you know, make sure you're getting some, uh, mouthwash that has fluoride in it and, you know, have that sit on your kid's teeth. So it stops those cavities from growing. And that's, that's what fluoride does. It actually can remineralize your teeth. So any areas that are almost those weak areas um, on your teeth from, you know, beginning of cavities, this fluoride can help actually harden those surfaces. So uh, that's kind of the whole benefit of fluoride. So that's why we highly recommend the fluoride toothpaste. There's other things in toothpaste, though. You got to make sure you guys understand that. And people can have reactions to those other things. So I've been told that um, people that get lots of mouth ulcers, you know, you can get mouth ulcers for different reasons. So definitely go to your dentist and find out, okay, what 
do you think this is from a virus? You know, from a virus is a different type of ulcer versus like, you know, an aphthous ulcer, which may come from, you know, other things. Like sometimes people are saying that something called SLS, which is sodium lauryl sulfate, can bring out those uh, mouth ulcers more. So you can get SLS-free toothpaste. And um, you just have to kind of look for it. If you're not sure, look at the back and then in the ingredients, you'll look for the word sodium lauryl sulfate. And I'll make sure to put that on my um blog post for the week. And I'm trying to use that a little bit more for these kind of situations where you may want more details about what I'm talking about. So always look to see if I did a blog post. Sometimes I have the ability and the time, I will try my best to get you guys the these resources, but I want to make sure you guys understand that. Um, I don't expect you to like, remember everything in this, you know, you can always come back, but I'll try to get you, you know, articles and things that are important for you to try to understand, you know, the topics that I'm going over. So the next thing I want to discuss is microplastics. So microplastics, why I'm bringing this in is because I care about our environment. I try to care as much as I can. And Sometimes that's all you can do. I try to do better more and more each year or each month if I can, but that's hard. But you got to kind of open your understanding to better products that are better for an environment. Why am I bringing this up right now? Because our planet is something our children inherit from us. And if we give them a planet that they can't really live in, what did we really do for them? They really are stuck with some big issues then that they have to find solutions for. And we got to be very well aware of the fact that these microplastics are kind of ruining our environment. So the importance of our environment right now is the fact that if we take care of it right now, we can give our children an environment they can live in that's good for their bodies and their health, and they can then innovate and move forward in other ways. Whereas if we don't care, then these will eventually be major issues that our children will have to deal with. And it can truly affect their ability um, to just be healthy. So I really want you guys to be aware of microplastics and making sure that you try to find toothpaste that doesn't have them. So microplastics are abrasive. So they're the little beads that you see in, you'll see them in soap or facial scrubs. You know, they're the little beads sometimes that you see in those type of liquids. And those can then eventually go into the ocean um, via our sewage and drainage systems. And they're being found in fish that we eat. Uh, they're being found on beaches. They're being found everywhere. There are brands out there that don't have these. And so I'll talk about that in a little bit, but make sure that you're trying to steer away from plastic use in general. And this is one of the ways to do that. So if you do want to consider a brand that does not have microplastics or, and like I, you know, this brand is not something I, I'm not, a, they don't sponsor me. We have no relationship. I think maybe one day I might consider it. I'll, it I don't know if I want to go down that path yet, but I just know about this brand because I've turned to it when I want to let my patients know that this brand exists. But Hello Brand has 
great options for families. And all of them do not have sodium lauryl sulfate in it. So none of them have SLS. some of them, some of their products have fluoride in it and you have to look for it. So in the section, you can even see they very clearly label fluoride and fluoride free. And I want you guys to understand fluoride is important from the, when the teeth first erupt, remember just that small little amount, you can always add non-fluoridated toothpaste on top if you want, but the little amount is important. So make sure you're getting the fluoride based toothpaste and get some of the fluoride free if you'd like. And also understand that they don't have any microplastics either. So you can also get any of those, you know, with, without any issue and not worry that it will cause any problems. Uh, the other thing about Hello Brand that I do like is there's all different types of flavors. They're gentle flavors. And for some kids that have oral sensitivities, you know, these flavors are a little bit more bearable. They also don't set up. So the sodium lauryl sulfate, because these Hello Brand does not have have that, they it doesn't set up as much. And that's what generally sodium lauryl SLS does. So you'll see it in other things if you look at the back. And it's useful in other, in other realms, but it's not useful in others. So that's kind of the reason that you may consider. And I will say, I don't know enough about SLS on the rest of your body and how it can affect you, but I do know how it can affect the mouth. And again, I'm a dentist. So if I do learn something more about SLS, I'll let you guys know. Uh, The other thing that people are talking about is charcoal. Charcoal, activated charcoal is charcoal, charcoal, charcoal. Yes, charcoal is used in medicine in different ways to leach out certain toxins from your body if you ingest them. And that was... I don't know, you know, as much about that, but charcoal for your teeth, I will say is not good. It can actually scratch the surface of your teeth, which is the enamel. Um, And then it's, so it is a strong abrasive. That's the thing. So it is an abrasive and it can whiten your teeth probably, but it comes at the cost of scratching the first layer of your teeth. So I just don't recommend it, especially if you're prone to cavities, you know, you just want to use it with caution because it can make your situation worse. See, I don't really recommend charcoal. It also gets stuck in your gingiva and can cause infection. So best bet, try to stay away from charcoal. Again, talk to your dentist and have a conversation when it comes to any of this stuff. If you don't like what your dentist is saying, you don't have to stay with them. You can question them if you choose. And if you don't like the answers they're giving you, it is your decision to ultimately leave. And I don't want to recommend that you should or shouldn't. It is your individual choice to stay with the provider. That is the great part of America is you have the choice you know, from the array of dentists that are out there. And there are quite a few. And then if you can't find, you know, your place, then I would then say evaluate yourself and see, maybe you're asking for something that doesn't exist. And maybe there's a reason why you can't find the type of dentist you're looking for. Um, Because there's a lot of us out there with all different types of practice philosophies. Anyways, let's move on to the next thing. Let's talk about flossing. I know it's kind of a boring subject. Everybody doesn't like it, but I want you guys to understand it's actually important for long-term health. Uh, Long-term health, you don't think about it when you're a kid. You know, you, how do you get your kid to care about long-term health? And you really can't, it's habit when they're kids. It's more about habit and routine more than anything. And then explaining as age appropriate ways as you can, like, Unfortunately, when they're young, they don't really understand what you're trying to say. So you have to put it in age appropriate ways, which a pediatric dentist is, 
is great at doing those things. And that's why I highly recommend if you have access to a pediatric dentist to go to them. They are great at explaining, you know, flossing to your kids. And if you don't know how to, then, you know, you go every six months and you make sure you tell your pediatric dentist, please teach my kid how to floss. Please explain to my kid, you know, and I've gotten those requests and it is my job or my hygienist job or my assistant's job, you know, to explain these things to the children. Uh, so make sure you have that open communication with your kids. But when do you, when should you start flossing? I want you guys to understand it should be when the teeth are touching. That's because the toothbrush can no longer get in between the teeth and you need something else to get all that bacteria that is growing in between the teeth out. And sometimes you can even see you know, when you're flossing some stuff come out. And sometimes even now with the way our food is made, a lot of our food gets stuck in between our teeth now and flossing really helps remove some of that stuck food. Like I floss and gotten out like chicken pieces and like all kinds of stuff with floss. You know, they're like, I didn't even eat chicken yesterday. I'm like, well, that means it's from the last time you ate chicken. He's like, oh, I ate chicken like five days ago. And I'm like, well, then it's from five days ago. And they're like in shock when I say those things. So it's kind of cute. And, you know, kids always tell me the truth, which is the best part of my day sometimes, because they will definitely, if I ask them, I need the truth, because then I can teach you, you know, they actually do tell me the truth about, you know, how things are at home and how they're brushing and how they're flossing. So I really do appreciate that about children. Flossing is mainly for the gum tissue. You know, you, you want to maintain that gum tissue and bone health. They kind of go hand in hand. And when you lose that, you can lose, you know, the structures that support the teeth. So with your kid, you kind of have to explain that your tooth is there and it munches, but then the gums are there as cushion for the teeth and the bones are there as like, you know, the cement that hold them in that you got to take care of all of it together. And if they ask that they can't see where the bone is, is, then, you know, a dentist can always show an x-ray to show where the bone is, you know, where it's underneath the gum tissue. So that's really important. And again, age appropriate ways for each child, making sure that you floss once a day. And I try not to push. Sometimes I am a dentist that kind of goes with the flow of what that family can handle. If you're trying to push a lot on a family and they're going through something in that moment, it's not, it's going to fall on deaf ears. So I will say sometimes to kids, Oh, can you please try to floss once a week? I mean, that's a decent goal to give them if they never floss at all. Like, especially as a teenager, if you talk to them that way, they kind of were like, okay, fine, I'll do it. It's just one time. And then it's like small little improvements of like, okay, it got easier. Oh, it's not that hard. And then you try two or three times a week and they start to, you know, every other day and start every other day. Let's start there and move up from there to get them to the ideal spot. So I'll make sure to post a video of good flossing technique as well on my blog post. So I'm going to stop there today. Um, there's going to be a part two and part two is going to be about cavity formation, what a dental visit looks like and what restorative and preventative care can look like at a pediatric dental office. So please stay tuned for next week for the second part of this episode. Thank you for tuning in this week. I really do appreciate it. Any feedback can be sent to me at my email. Again, that's bloomingsmilespodcast at gmail 
gmail.com. Please visit me at, on my website. I'll have my blog post on there. It's www.bloomingsmilespodcast.com. You can also find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Again, thanks for your support. Make sure you rate me a five wherever you can and take care.